This is a Wound Care Voices podcast from Mölnica, and I'm your host, Andrea Kulshaw, from our professional education team. Leg ulcers, they can be difficult to manage and difficult to live with. So this episode is the one about the golden rules of leg ulcer treatment and follows the one we did recently on leg ulcer diagnostics. It's great to be joined again by Professor Joachim Dissemond, a consultant dermatologist from Essen in Germany. Hello, Andrea. And Mernica's International Medical Director, John Timmons. Hi, Andrea. Hi, Joachim. Joachim, last time you talked us through the ABCDE rule of wound diagnostics uh, and how to tackle the complexity of leg ulcer diagnosis. So now we move on to talk about how to treat patients with leg ulcers. Where do you start? Um, last, we dis- discussed the importance of a structured diagnostic. So the results of, of our differentiated diagnostic should be the form, form the basis of an individual therapy. So knowing what, what the patients had for problems is the start for us uh, with, a, with a special and individualized treatment. So often patients have several factors for the pathophysiology, uh, which are pathophysiology relevant. And here we should try to, to find the right diagnosis and start there with our interdisciplinary therapy. So Joachim, um, when, you, when you've got your patient in front of you, there's obviously we talk about these differential diagnoses. What would you say are the most common alternatives? So, We've said in the last podcast that the, the, the we're looking at venous leg ulcers as being the predominant. What what are yeah. what are your next? I feel like the next most important diagnosis that we have to think about. Maybe it depends from yourself. So in in my institution, or m- maybe it's associated with my name. These are these are immunologic wounds. So vasculitis, pyoderma gangrenosum, and a lot of of patients center us and where the colleagues think they maybe have some very difficult autoimmunologic disease at the end we find uh, artificial wounds so induced by the patients themselves because we have a kind of negative selection i don't think that is this very often uh, all over the country but it is very often in my institution so a normal venous leg ulcer will never find the way in my institution so we see 50 percent of the patients suffering from vasculitis, pyoderma gangrenosum, necrobiosis lipoidica, vasculopathies, a lot of otherwise rare things. And the most important thing is maybe uh, an underlying neoplasm. So um, malignancy are not so often, uh, but very important. Okay, so in your clinic, you see that kind of the rarer uh, patients that maybe in the, the normal leg ulcer clinic may not be attending sort of thing. These are or they would be escalating to you in that situ- situation. Yeah. Yes, that, that that's right. And and if everything uh, works well before with 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 the GP with the house doctor, they never reach my center. So an uncomplicated venous leg ulcer is the most often reason for leg ulcer. The second often is an arterial disease, and we called mixed leg ulcer. What means a venous and an arterial disease as the main causes for leg ulcers. Of course, these are 70-80% of all leg ulcers in Germany, but not in my institution. It depends where you work. Okay. 
So if we go back to, um, we were talking last time predominantly about venous leg ulcers. If you think about um, the options, so we've got a patient in front of us who has been diagnosed with a, a venous leg ulcer. What is your the next part of the treatment? Where do you start um, with that next phase? Um, is it is it surgical treatment? Is it something else, or is it straight into compression? What what are your options? Let, let us say an interventional treatment, because it's not only surgical. The one the one thing is you have to think what can I do with the venous system. Uh, normally, it does not not happen in the next few hours. You have to plan it, but it's. The most important part, if you have the diagnosis of a chronic venous disease, you have to treat this. And you have a lot of interventional therapies, for example, a sclerosis therapy. The old one is an exerasis, really an, an surgical uh, management. Newer options are something like laser therapies or, or using uh, other methods to close the venous, the insufficient uh, venous areas of, of, of the leg. This is the one part. And the other part, of course, is choosing the right dressing um, for, for wound treatment and the, the compression therapy. So okay. you have more than, than one thing where you have to start. An interventional treatment normally needs a few days, maybe some, sometimes a week or more to plan this if the patient uh, wishes to do that. And the other thing is starting directly uh, with uh, the right dressing, with the modern wound therapy and with the compression therapy. So would you say then that like one of the things that I've always a bit disappointed in is that not many members of the public would know how important it is to, for example, have their varicose veins treated at an early stage? Because are these the patients, do you think, that go on to develop leg ulcers in the future that can become complicated then? Uh, yes, if you if you ignore what is the underlying reason for for your leg ulcer, you never will, will be successful uh, for long term um, treatment. So first you have to diagnose it, and then you have to treat that. Only knowing that there is a venous insufficient and doing nothing against that, or doing, let us say, only compression therapy. It is not only it is very very important to have the uh, the compression therapy but but you have good scientific data that's a combination of an interventional treatment and compression therapy is the gold standard for the treatment of the patients yep and i have to say i speak from experience because last year i had a uh, laser uh, doppler removal of of uh, my uh, basically varicose veins and uh, well, they used a mixture of sclerotherapy for the bottom ones, and they used the uh, laser to, to to burn away the top ones. But I have to say, it wasn't wasn't very painful. Uh, and actually, I, I, it feels a lot better now. And, and I wear compression when I'm doing exercise and things like that. So, how important do you think it is to wear preventative products? Do you think that compression can help for for patients who have got early venous disease? Yeah, yes, of course. This is the only thing you can, can do. Maybe like, like you did it uh, with an interventional treatment. So the best thing is uh, you're very young uh, and you do not suffer from a venous leg ulcer. So it is better to treat before you suffer from a venous leg ulcer. That has to be clear. You start with some venous symptoms and then some years, sometimes decades later, you suffer from a venous leg ulcer. It is not like like a pyodermic gangrenosum. So today you are you are healthy. Tomorrow you 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 have your your problems with your autoimmunologic disease that can be very rapidly. But a venous disease is a is a long term therapy, uh, and you have long term problems. And the earlier you start, uh, the the more you can avoid the the 
end problem with the venous lack ulcer. So starting early, starting with prevention uh, is a very good thing. And so you hopefully will never suffer from an, a venous lack ulcer. And then their compression therapy is extremely important and if necessary, even interventional treatment. Yeah, no, and, and I think that's a good message, I think. But obviously, the, we know the extent of the venous leg ulcer problem. And I know in the UK, it's certainly pretty much the most uh, common type of chronic wound. Uh, and I'm sure you've mentioned in, in Germany, it's the same. Um, I appreciate we, we get to compression at some point, but you've you've been talking for quite a number of years now yes. about, about the actual wounds themselves as well and the moist concept. Can you explain a little bit about moist and what that means in terms of wound assessment and treatment um, before we start talking about compression? Yes, if, if, if you think about uh, modern wound therapy, it's a face-adapted modern wound therapy. This is what, what you usually, how, how you usually call it. And then you have some, especially for educational reasons, you have some concepts. And maybe uh, worldwide, the most famous is, is the time concept. And we did it in the German-speaking countries uh, with our friends from Austria and Switzerland, uh, thinking about newer concepts which are not integrated in this time concept, especially the oxygen therapies and the what we call supporting strategies, which means uh, growth factors and uh, matrix metalloproteinases inhibitors, for example. So new kind of, of treatments could not be integrated very well in, in the time concept. And therefore, we formed with the so-called Wunddach, the umbrella organization for German-speaking um, societies, this so-called moist concept, which is not completely new. It's, it's on the base of, it's based on, on the time concept, and it is uh, the development or includes um, newer strategies into um, our our concepts how to treat chronic chronic wounds in, in nowadays. And uh, from the, the, the point of view of moist, uh, I obviously I've not really used that before as, as, as a clinician. I used the, the time concept in the past as well. Um, but where do you think that, that that kind of gives you a bit of a, if you like, a more contemporary edge in terms of wound uh, diagnosis and, and treatment? What, what, is, what is the key differences from your perspective? Um, there, obviously, the, you see that the tissue types in there, uh, moisture's in there. Um, but do you think that the, the oxygen part is, is something that we can relate to both compression and other products? Yes, of course. Uh, oxygen treatment, oxygen is very, very necessary. And uh, a lot of people only think of, uh, about oxygen in the context of arterial disease, but that's not true. Every kind of chronic wound will, will have a problem with ischemia and, and, and needs uh, oxygen. It doesn't mean automatically that you have to supply it from outside. That, that's for sure. It's, it's also a problem how you can um, do your revascularization, for example. But at the end, you have to transfer your, your oxygen in, 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 in the wound bed. And if you have additionally uh, the option to do this from outside uh, by, by dressings or um, using a hyperbaric chamber, for example, that can support wound healing. Uh, it is not instead of anything, but it is a new um, good option to support wound healing. And that's this, this is the O in moist, 
and as the supporting strategies um, summarizes the other alternatives. So um, I, I think we, we all know that, that in leg ulcer healing, we, we tend to talk about obviously compression has been the gold standard and, and the, the, key, the cornerstone, if you like, of the care of these patients. But in terms of the wounds themselves, um, how would you, do they normally present for you? Um, are, are, are they, is there a type that you would associate with venous leg ulcers in terms of how they present? Are they, uh, are they the, 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 the moist, irregular, sluffy, shallow wounds or are they, are they the, the sort of deep, dry wounds? What is, what is the overall aspect of a, of a venous leg ulcer that makes it stand out? This can be very diff different, but uh, again, we have a kind of negative selection. So if every, everything uh, was, was good in the past, they never reached our center. And, and this is the same for, for the wound bed. A lot of them had, had problems um, by, by good, finding a, a good wound treatment. So you do not find in venous leg ulcer so much necrosis. You find a sloughy um uh, sloughy sludge on 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 the wounds you see often a problem with uh with bacterial super infections when they they reached our our institution this is maybe not not the same in other institutions and not representative for for the wound healing um concepts here uh, in germany but i i think it's it's difficult for a lot of patients to be adherent to therapies, uh, to find the right uh, physician, nurse to support uh, them. And then the, the next problem sometimes is um, to find a reimbursement for, uh, for dressings. Normally everything should be reimbursed in theory that is like this, but in reality it doesn't be uh, the, it is not so good. For, for the patient and they have to pay a lot of um, the, the things around uh, wound healing like um, solutions for wound cleansing by themselves and then at the end they used tap water, uh, they used um, yeah, homemade dressings if we can uh, call it like that and um, these are big problems when they arrived in, in our uh, wound care center. So it sounds like, I mean, for, for these patients, there isn't any hard and fast rules apart from you see what the patient presents with and you have to basically be adaptable. So the wound dressing that you choose obviously needs to meet the needs of that individual patient. So that kind of leads me on to that. that you mentioned that when we did the assessment session on the importance of edema and healing um, and that basically patients who have oedema present are going to find it a lot tougher to, to have that wound healing. So obviously the, the way we manage that is usually with compression therapy. What, what would you say would be, uh, in, in your practice um, or in generally in Germany, what would be the kind of optimal level? We talk about millimetres of mercury in compression. What is the optimal level for compression for, in your eyes and, and in your practice? It depends on the patient and the underlying disease. So we have to, um, it has to be clear to us that, that an edema is maybe one of the main enemies in, in wound healing and independent of a chronic venous disease. So if the edema is the result of a heart failure or, or whatever, um, you have to treat that. And if the edema is not related to a venous disease, in most cases, uh, it was shown by, by Parch and Mosti and other very 
Renoir uh, collects that 20 millimeters mercury is enough for edema reduction. If you look for a heart venous disease, a higher pressure is better. So 40, if possible, 60. But at the end, uh, it is important for us that the patient can do this and accept that and be, however you call it, compliant or better adherent. He understand what you mean and accept that because varying compression therapy is not, not an easy thing and, and doing that uh, through a summer uh, with 30 degrees outside and it's not comfortable. So the new trend, and it's a clear trend in the, in the German uh, phlebologic scene, that a lower compression is much better than no compression. And if you talk about compression, 20 millimeter of mercury, what means a class one in Germany, because the classes are all over Europe are different. What, what kind you have, class one means in Germany for stockings, 18 to 21, um, is enough for edema reduction. It is not enough for good venous um, compression. If higher compression is accepted, good. But you have also good data about uh, prevention of venous leg ulcers, the 20 millimeter um, mercury is not so bad. So start whatever the patient is accepted and if you, um, if you accept more, more could be more effective. And we have a new system, the adaptive um, compression therapies, sometimes they are called wrap systems, where you have your Velcro bandages and it can be adapted and adjusted by the patients themselves. And, and for example, one system uh, allows you to adapt it between 20 and 50 millimeters mercury. And that is good if you can involve the patient. And if you accept 40, 50 millimeters mercury, great. But if you only accept 20, better than nothing. Yes, and, and I think that seems to be there seems to be a, a range of patients, isn't there? And, and, and I suppose a lot of it is, like you said, it's about adherence um, to protocol. And, uh, and uh, if you can discuss with them beforehand, maybe um, about the benefits of having higher compression on for just even a few weeks would be beneficial for the wound. In terms of, uh, in, in terms of in your experience, when you apply, if you apply good compression on a limb, um, you know, people talk about that sort of magic 12 weeks. Is that, is that something that you experience in terms of that, that healing time is, you know, if, you, if you've got a wound that's responding well, 12 weeks is a, is a good goal or, or is that maybe something we should put to the back of our minds and think, think just uh, manage the maybe for, uh, Maybe outside here. Yeah. So, so you read something like that in a lot of studies and, and, and maybe these are also financial reasons why you choose uh, an endpoint after 12 weeks. Um, hopefully it, it is enough outside and more or less uncomplicated venous leg ulcer um, but that's not so true um, for, for a lot of people and if you suffer let us say for, for 12 years from a venous leg ulcer then you have sclerosis, you have fibrosis and you can be very happy if, if you are successful after six months. So 12 weeks is nice if, if, if you're faster if the patient is younger if if the wound is not so deep if you start earlier then you you will be successful even in some some weeks but the longer the the patient suffer from his chronic venous leg ulcer the more you have your sclerosis and fibrosis the more difficult and longer is the treatment until 
you have some patients they will never heal and that has to be clear that you you find some some patients suffering 20 years from a venous lag ulcer and for the that's a remaining um, five or ten years um, you can treat a lot um, here and find some patient related outcomes uh, if you, if you uh, will um, call it like that and it is very important that the patient will not have too much too much pain and that you you look uh, about the the quality of life but at the end you will not automatically um, your, your, your main focus should not automatically be in 100% of your patient the complete wound closure. Um, with that in mind, it's something we didn't really talk about uh, in great depth but before was um, what about the, the surrounding skin? These patients tend to have quite complicated um, surrounding skin that, that gets quite sort of reactive to products and things like that. What would you normally recommend for, for protecting that surrounding skin underneath compression? As in the department of, uh, of dermatology, venerology and allergology, we like to, to test to test to do an allergologic test because a lot of people say oh no don't use that dressing I'm, I have this this strong allergy against that but in most cases uh, they we will not find an allergy um, it is more a toxic effect it is a, a maceration it is uh, because the dressing uh, was not able to uh, to do good exudate management and therefore protection of the skin is very important using skin ointments using skin ointments with urea um, using uh, but but uh, with um, not so many other other things don't use something like antibiotics or, or substances which um, can induce contact sensibilizations so do it Good diagnostic and skin care is is a very big point especially uh, if you you um, use your compression therapy then the mostly older people people will have uh, a more uh, dry skin beneath the compression therapy and that doesn't mean that you have an allergic reaction to the to the compression stockings or bandages normally it is dry in the beginning is dry and at the end it is an, an eczema um, so as a dermatologist, we will use for, let us say, two or three days a steroid if you have an eczema and then skin ointment without steroids is very important. Yeah, I think that's it's one of the, the important things I've noticed in our patient groups before was that, that sometimes the surrounding skin was more troublesome than, than the actual wound itself. Uh, um, alongside that, um, you mentioned obviously the, the issue of patients uh, complying or adhering with treatment. Um, what, what's your opinion on the, the newer techniques for, for com compressing the limb? You know, we've seen uh, the, the development of hosiery kits, um, wrap systems, uh, we've seen intermittent pneumatic devices. What, what's your impression of those as, as, a, as therapies or adjunctive therapies for, for managing leg ulcers now? I think it's great to, to come a little bit more closer to an individual treatment because I don't think that one of the systems you mentioned is the perfect system for everybody 
and it is not necessary. And you have different systems, you have different options and you have different patients. And talk with your patients and look what, what will fit to him in his setting. Um, and that is, is great. If you only have one system for, for everybody, uh, the, this is not the, uh, the result that, that, that we need. More systems to do an individual treatment is good. And unfortunately, unfortunately, it costs time, but education is extremely important. If you only uh, do a prescription to a patient, say use it um, and then going to the next patient, it is ex especially for the compression therapy, it is not enough. You have to explain why and how um, and you have to control it afterwards after the prescription if it fits very well uh, otherwise um, we see more than half of the patient um, we will, which will never use the the compression therapy yeah but i think that seems to be reported quite widely in all countries uh, with regards to compression so the good thing is there's now options available um, and i hope that you know more and more patients are encouraged to use it um, certainly i've seen some of the wrap systems and they seem much more patient friendly and and of course, uh, for a lot of the patients that I've looked after in the past, it's always been about can they get their shoes on? Can they go about their daily work yeah. and yeah. daily business with, without too much getting in the way? Um, and you mentioned, of course, the summer months when, when it gets really hot underneath uh, these, these bandages. How can we sort of uh, relieve that a little bit? So in terms of the overall then, um, if you had a couple of things to summarize what, what you would say would, would be happening when you're faced with a patient with a, a venous leg ulcer um what what is your we said before you know we the dressing is important but more important is the compression um what would you say to to people who are listening today would be their their takeaways if there was three things that you would tell them um for these patients what would what would you advise them Okay, the first thing is here the first podcast about our diagnostics. Do you a good diagnostics and on the base on a, on a diagnostic, choose your individual treatment. The one is a conservative way using good dressings and I, I think most of, um, of the people outside will, will know how to manage it, face adapted um, and more or less individualized. Look what compression therapies are available outside. Look for the, the WRAP system, the adaptive systems as one good options, especially in the first phase afterwards. You have special stockings even for, for patients with, um, with a with an, uh, leg ulcer, which can be, be used by the patients uh, relatively easily. And think about an interventional treatment because outside our hospital interventional treatment is not done very regularly so finding a dressing is done very often the prescription of a compression therapy is done very often the patient do not wear it uh, in a lot of cases do your education when you do your prescription of the compression and think about an interventional treatment and even if the patient is 90 years old think about something like sclerotherapy which is in most cases not not your first choice if the patient is young but especially in in venous leg ulcer patients and elderly people this can be a good option to do a direct therapy on the insufficient venous system and i think then you, know, you can manage a lot of patients overall at the end okay in most patients we try to um 
to solve the problem and to, to, um, to have a complete wound closure. This is our official, um, our, our official uh, thing that we would like to reach, but at the end, um, patient-related outcome parameters, especially the quality of life, is maybe much more important for the patient. And if we, we fail in some cases in complete wound closure, then you can do a lot of good things for the patients um, that he has a better better life maybe with his venous leg ulcer. I think that's really important advice. I think that um, quite often we rely too much on or think about too much about healing the wound um, instead of actually managing the patient journey, which is the most important things for them are having bandages that stay in place, that don't unravel, that they, they can go about their daily lives, um, that they don't have leakage through the bandages, that they don't have a smell. Um, and these are the important things for patients that we have to remember. So maybe healing shouldn't be always the, the primary aim, but hopefully we get there in the end. But I think that, you know, maybe think more about the patient who's experiencing the, the, the treatment um, at more. I think that's a definitely good advice. Well, thank you very much for that, Joachim. Thank you, John. Thank you, Joachim. Uh, it's very interesting to hear your thoughts about it and rounding us off on this series about leg ulcers. Thank you very much. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you.